0: Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started paddling the blue. Who is Jake Stahoviak? and why did I decide to make a special episode just about him? Well, Jake is a paddler, and I would say just like the rest of us, but he wasn't. There was only one Jake Stahoviak. In today's episode, we'll share some of the paddling highlights of the great loop trip that Jake brought to episode number two, while also hearing from just a few of his friends telling you about Jake as a person. Let's begin with the words of Marit, Jake's wife.
1: He was just such a genuine person. And if you met him once, you kind of knew him. You know, he's just very kind and honest and authentic and giving and just you know such a, just a really good person I, you know since he passed i've talked to a couple people who are like gosh i only met him once or twice but you know i'm super sad and i really miss him He was such a, a good person so just um, a genuine really good person
0: very good heart and uh, we, yeah. sh- we should all be more like jake yeah
1: yeah, that's kind of what I, at school, I'm telling his boys, to just all his kids that that he was teaching. Um, just I said, just be like Jake. You know, when you get into a, a spot, just think about him and, and, you know, do what Jake would do.
0: He really was a genuine person. He really wanted to get to know you, and Jake thrived on the relationships that he built with people. You just knew he was a good person. You wanted to be like him. And Ethan Shyway sums it up right here.
2: Well, I met Jake here at the Door County Sea Symposium about 10 years ago and instantly had a total man crush on him. <laughs> he was, uh, there's just something about the way that he he operated his day to day and how he interacted with people that was just so inspiring. And I was like, I I want to be like Jake. You know, Jake was uh, an incredible person and touched so many lives um, here and everywhere else. You know, going to his memorial in Wausau and hearing stories from other people outside of, the, you know, m- many different aspects of his life that he impacted, I don't know, he was just an amazing person. I remember 10 years ago, uh, Marit and myself were out on the big concrete pier here at Door County and the sun was setting and jake was in between two he was out on on his kayak He was in between two buoys um, out in raleigh's bay and he was doing figure eights around them carving around them and rolling the sun was setting it was a beautiful night and i often look back at that moment and he was just so much at peace in there Um, anytime he was in a boat it was his place i don't know i often think of that sunset The view that we had of him just rolling his kayak solo by himself, uh, nobody else around there, and it it was was a a beautiful moment.
0: Ethan, my friend, you're not alone. I, too, first met Jake at the Door County Sea Kayak Symposium. It was 2013, and it was my first time at the symposium, and I was a newly minted instructor. The event holds a pre-event gathering for the instructors to get together and meet one another and spend a little bit of time on the water, kind of getting to know each other. Well, I was nervous, and Jake made a point of introducing himself to me and talking with me, and it wasn't just pleasantries. It was genuine. He just wanted to know, and he just wanted to meet people. That symposium would be the commonplace that would connect many of us over the years, and for Jake and Marit, it's where it all began.
1: So I was working for Rutabaga, and I was working, I don't know, probably my 10th. County Sea Kike Symposium, or one of many. And, yeah, so I was in I was in the Stuga working, you know, setting up the store and stuff. And this, this guy comes in, this new guy comes in. It was 2011. And he comes in with an inside-out and backwards shirt on. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I should probably let him know, because I don't think he wants his first impression with everybody to... To be like all disheveled so I I told him I was like hey you know your shirts on inside out and backwards he's like oh oh no and he just takes the shirt off right there and uh Jake had just completed his his uh, portage to portage trip and he was in very good shape (laughs) so um and very attractive so I was like hmm so I sent out my my spies a little later to figure out if he was single and my spy was not very subtle. She <laughs> basically was like, "Yeah, my friend's interested in you." And but, uh, and then I wrangled to get into his tour that he was leading, so kind of snuck myself in there. And turns out he was gonna do some work in the Madison area in a month or so. So I, you know, gave my phone number, being like, "Oh, hey, yeah, we can paddle together." And then, and then we got together later that summer and been together ever since yeah. yeah so
0: on that tour not only did you did you finagle yourself to get on the tour but somehow you ended up driving in the same vehicle somehow as well. we
1: got in the same car i didn't even have to finagle that so <laughs> i maybe he was because he was interested too so <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah it all worked out great <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell me about some of the things that made jake so special to you
1: yeah well And, well, kind of on that topic of meeting him for the first time, I remember coming home from the symposium and calling my mom and and telling her that I met the guy I was going to marry. So even though it took us seven years (laughs) to get married, I, I was correct.
0: When I first started the Paddling the Blue podcast, Interviewing Jake was absolutely at the top of my list. His story was the first episode I ever released. His Great Loop trip was one that I knew I had to share. So what is the Great Loop, you ask? I'll let Jake tell you himself.
3: Just like the name, it paddles from Portage to Portage. On the west side of Portage is the Wisconsin River. And Wisconsin River, where I started, in Portage, that flows out to the Mississippi. Um, And then I went down the Mississippi to New Orleans. I didn't go all the way to the Gulf, um, to the end of the Mississippi. I turned, caught a couple canals, cut a corner east to the Gulf of Mexico. And I followed around the Gulf of Mexico, all the way down the length of Florida, um, around the tip of Florida near Key Largo. Not all the way to the end of the Keys, but the first turn I could make at the top of the Keys. Then up the East Coast, uh, mostly by way of the Intracoastal Waterway. I stayed off of the open coast as much as possible. And then that leads roughly to New York City with a couple gaps along the way where you have to go on the open coast. And then in New York, I went up the Hudson River to Albany. And then in Albany, you can catch up with the Erie Canal. And Erie Canal and the Mohawk River, they dug as a shortcut uh, long ago. And I was happy to take that shortcut. That links across New York State to the Great Lakes. So near Buffalo, or at Buffalo, New York, I hopped out onto Lake, what would it be? Erie. Lake Erie. Yeah, Yeah, Buffalo. I never did see Lake Ontario. I had to do the whole uh, Sally made Harry Harry eat onions thing there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I hopped out on Lake Erie, and then went the southern uh, shore of Lake Erie, and then up through Detroit, and um, onto Lake Huron, and then essentially across... Around the mitten of of Lower Michigan, I guess you could say, crossed in Mackinac and then came down the bottom side of the UP and then uh, into Green Bay all the way to all the way to the city of Green Bay. and there you hook up with the Fox River, which flows out, well, if you paddle upstream goes all the way back to Portage Wisconsin, which is about two miles or so the Fox River is on the East side of Portage, so I essentially went right back to where I started.
0: There was a lifelong inspiration for this trip. Here's Jake talking about how he decided on the Great Loop.
3: Gosh, everything with me goes back to childhood, but I love maps. I still do. And uh, the Wisconsin Trout Fishing Regulation map, it literally highlights every single stream in Wisconsin with a color code yellow for different bag limits and size limits and Redford another bag limit size limit so every single stream in wisconsin is highlighted and i started kind of tracing where all the streams went and near portage or in portage i realized that um, the fox river came dangerously close to touching the wisconsin river just because all those rivers were highlighted you know i traced the fox river out to green bay and was pretty savvy and knew that that led through the st lawrence or great lakes and st lawrence seaway to the atlantic They also knew that the Wisconsin River flowed to the Mississippi and out to the uh, Gulf of Mexico, a branch of the Atlantic. And uh, my little, what would have been maybe 11- or 12-year-old mind put the pieces together pretty quickly that, by gosh, you know, right there in Portage, Wisconsin, you're just about creating an island out of the entire eastern half of the United States. At that age is when I started percolating the idea that, gosh, you could float a boat all the way around if you really, really wanted to. And uh, I daydreamed ideas of, uh, like, um, you know, huck fin rafts and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I discovered kayaks that I actually discovered the, the craft that would do it.
0: The really interesting thing about this trip is that if someone else didn't tell you Jake did it, you'd never know. He didn't do the trip for fame or fortune. He did it for the passion. He loved to talk about it and relive it, but he would never be the one to boast about it. Here's what Andrea Nepper from episode four had to say about Jake.
4: So probably my favorite time paddling with him was in Baja on the Pacific Ocean. And he, he he's the most elegant paddler, I swear, I've ever seen. So, you know, it's a it's a venue that is just stunningly beautiful and big swell and sun and waves crashing and all this energy and so beautiful. And he's just paddling in the midst of all of it, so gracefully and some people you see them paddling and they're working so hard and you don't see any of the work he's doing he's just I don't know like a dolphin or a, a sea turtle <laughs> like just one with the water and he loves it and he's just has a big smile and it's just about the fun and the beauty it's not about how good he is and he—he was such a good paddler it is just wonderful to watch him paddle
0: Wherever he went, Jake inspired others to be their best. In return, he experienced generosity from others on his Great Loop trip, too.
3: It was never just, yeah, you can pitch your tent in the backyard. It was always, why don't you take our guest room, and here's a hot shower, and we're going to feed you. And in New Madrid, they, they provided me with a driver to take me to, uh, to Memphis to um, try to re- get some fresh supplies that had been stolen. That was just the tip of the iceberg. just kept getting bigger and better from there.
0: Just like those river angels that took Jake in and made him feel special, Jake enjoyed making his friends feel special too. Sometimes it was just an inside joke shared among them. Here's Jonathan Ringdahl from episode eight with one of the things that made Jake special to him.
5: Yeah, so my story is about how I actually met Jake. So it was at the Door County Sea Kayak Symposium and I had wandered down to one of the docks And there was this guy there and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, oh, good. I'm like, I'm about to jump in off the dock. I do it every year. Do you want to jump with me? And I said, that sounds awesome. And so Jake and I jumped in off the dock and then we came out and we had so much fun that we jumped in again and then we jumped in again And uh, Jake is a little more brave than I am. He climbed up this metal pole and uh, apparently he's part monkey. And I did not know that because he just, he he scaled up and he jumped off of that. And I'm not exactly a fan of heights. So I left the acrobatics to Jake, but that's how Jake and I first met. And then it became a tradition of ours at Every County that we would go and we would take the jump off the dock with each other and then that ended up also teaching a class with him and it was just so much fun actually working with him just as much fun if not more fun than jumping off the dock with him and just how fun he is for students to work with and how engaging he is with them was really an inspiration to me and has made me um, a better kayaking instructor.
0: Moments like that weren't about Jake. They were about you. Here's what Tracy Zanish remembered.
5: It's not like
4: we sat down and had dinner and things, but he'd always say hi and he'd always look at you and he said hi and he'd look at you and I saying hi and then he's like how are you and things, but he actually wanted to know how you were he just didn't say oh yeah fine you know and then he continued on walking and stuff. he actually took the time to do that and it's not bad that other people don't but i remember that he always took the time to do that i'd see the man once a year or there'd be a year that i didn't see him and things but he always took the time and he did that with everyone so you felt special and you're like oh he remembered me
0: jake lit up when he talked about the trip and i was honored that he chose to share it with us from those moments of generosity Jake experienced on the trip came some of the funniest memories, and this was one of my favorites. So in terms of supplies, how did you resupply along the way?
3: <laughs> yeah, so everybody, you know, you hear about Appalachian Trail and you, and you mail yourself supplies and, and you have them held at the uh, post office for you, and people always expect me to, to tell stories like that. In all honesty, the way I did it, is I borrowed the car from whoever I was staying with, and I drove to Walmart and just bought what I needed. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could make it you know more of an education for people uh, who want to plan an expedition and an extended trip, but honestly, that's mostly how I did it. Yeah, it was just the word got out that I was doing the trip, and I had a host... Every ten to twelve days, I ended up just having somebody to stay with. I I, I laugh because I would uh I would say, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to get to a uh, store to get resupply, and they'd say, oh, here's the keys to our car. Go ahead and take your, and drive yourself there. And I'm it wasn't one person. It was several people who would just literally just give me the keys to their car and say, Walmart's in the navigator. Get yourself there. And uh, it's funny because I would uh I'd walk out of Walmart. With a usually a chocolate cake or something in my hands because I would eat that in about 10 minutes, and, but I'd, I'd be staring at this set of keys, you know, that they gave me, and I would would have forgotten. It's like, was that a pickup trucker that I was driving, or was that a minivan, or was that a car? And I would wander the parking lot, pushing the uh, unlock button or the honk the horn button on the set of keys, just trying to find the car that somebody had loaned me. You know, not saying I was brain dead, but. I was usually pretty wore out and preoccupied by the time I was doing a resupply, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to find the car by making the horn honk.
0: Aimlessly wandering around the parking lot with chocolate cake in your hands.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the chocolate cake was almost a, a guarantee. I would uh, had my little route. I'd buy all the groceries I needed, all the gorp supplies, and and oatmeal and whatever else, and uh, always pick up uh like an eight by eight chocolate cake, and uh go over to the deli and grab myself a plastic spoon or a plastic fork. And I'd walk outside, and I would eat that entire cake in one setting, and wipe my mouth with a napkin. And then about ten minutes later, I'd be hungry again. Even
0: in the face of adversity, he tried to see the best in people, and he was able to look back and see the funny parts of life and his trip.
3: In Vicksburg, Mississippi, I had I had pulled out. Um, it was New Year's New Year's Day night, not New Year's Eve, but the you know New Year's Day night. Um, I. Pulled into town, and like anywhere, I was looking for a laundromat, a place to resupply food, and a place to get a meal. I managed to find a. uh, Actually, I parked my boat down by the river, and at that point, I had been previously robbed, so it's another story. I uh, secured all my gear and my boat down by the river, grabbed my duffel bag full of dirty laundry in my wallet, and walked into town. Ended up getting a ride with a guy to. uh, uh, laundromat that had a pizza plate. It's ne- right next door, so it was perfect. Stuffed myself with pizza, got my laundry done, and I was walking back to my boat sort of behind a gas station, I guess more or less alongside a gas station. Two young men were walking toward me, and uh, I just stopped and said, how's it going, or happy new year, something to that effect. And uh, they stopped as well and, and faced me. I thought, oh, okay, you know, some friendly kids. And next thing I know, I felt a spray in my face, and uh, just something wet and cold. It smelled like um, arid extra dry deodorant that my parents used to wear. So my instinct was, I literally, well, instinctively started stepping backward away from these two young gentlemen toward the gas station. The lights of the uh, all the action part of the gas station were kind of in the shadows alongside the gas station. And the whole time saying, did you guys just spray deodorant in my face? And I was wiping the moisture off my face, and I was looking at my hand as much as I could because I started thinking, was that spray paint did they just spray spray paint in my face again instinctively walking backward toward the lights of the gas station as uh, these two didn't follow me but they kind of stood there watching me as soon as i got into the lights of the gas station it's when it hit me i don't know if you've ever gotten poked in the eye but you can k- sometimes keep your eye open for a moment but then all of a sudden it sort of starts to hit you and there's a point where your eyes just close and you know you can't open your eyes well Pepper spray was is just like that, at least it was for me. There was a point where it finally hit me, it finally got firmly in my eyes, and I could hardly open my eyes. And uh, <laughs> I was thankfully able to get away from these two kids who had actually pepper sprayed me. Um, but I stumbled my way into and through the gas station and got to the bathroom where I was able to uh, start rinsing the stuff out of my eyes. If you've ever been pepper sprayed, it is quite an experience. Um, wherever the spray hits your mucous membrane, you start to essentially ooze fluids. <laughs> so my eyes were watering, my nose was pouring uh, snot, I guess you could say. Um, I got it on my lips. I started almost puking involuntarily. And uh, I only wish I had been in the bathroom. I was actually in kind of a custodial closet. And there's a deep sink there on the way to the men's bathroom. I sort of was part of the men's bathroom, a weird little gas station. So I had my head essentially in this sink trying to rinse the pepper spray out of my eyes. And every time somebody had to use the bathroom, they'd boot me out of that area because they needed privacy in the bathroom. And then I was stuck out in the gas station just fending for myself. And they had an open-air uh, Coke display, which is ice ice in a big cooler, ice and Coke. So I'd grab a fistful of ice, walk out into the uh, um gas station parking lot and it just melt ice in my face until whoever it was that just booted me out of the bathroom came out then I go running back in to s- try to rinse my eyes again it was it was a whole experience and uh, <laughs> uh calls to 911 and uh five police police cars showed up I'm not kidding five squad cars showed up it's, and the chief of police even showed up it was a uh, quite an experience to say the least I got my second police car ride of the trip and a ride in the ambulance to the hospital to get the uh the pepper spray rinsed out of my eyes.
0: So, yeah. you say the second police car ride. So, the first one is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the first the one's best. a robbery, I'm guessing.
3: Yes, yes. All right. Uh, yeah, that was New Madrid or New Madrid, if you want to say it the way they say it there, uh, Missouri. And I again stopped for resupply. And this is earlier in the trip now than the masing, And uh, I hadn't gotten smart to fully securing my gear. So, I took again all my, my journal, my computer and all my dirty clothes threw them in a duffel bag and i pulled my boat up into the bushes um just had it stashed there and i walked into town on the way in i had to walk right by a couple guys that were fishing they hadn't seen me pull out but they saw me walk out of the bushes and i just said hello to them and walked into town and had my deep fried pickles and everything else you can eat at a gas station restaurant in the south stopped at a little main street i like guess main street convenience store type place and said hi to the owner there and got chatting about my trip and when I walked back to the river, everything except my boat was gone. They essentially stole everything I had other than what was on my back and thankfully my boat and such. Um, the only person I hadn't made a contact with was the guy at that, that Main Street general store. So I went back to him and just told him what had happened. And it turns out his wife was more or less the mayor of the town. And um, they put me up um, at the... Uh, Local health club in town, little tiny town. So I ended up sleeping on the massage table at the health club with no gear. All I did was, well, all I could do was start calling my uh, my contacts. Like I had a bunch of gear at home, so I called home and talked my mother through all what box, what was in what box, and she had stuff staged and ready to ship out. I called one of my sponsors, um, the North Face, and my friend up there actually shipped in um, replacement sleeping bag. Right away, that arrived a day later, believe it or not. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> um, after that first night, I went for a ride with the police, just trying to find a car that I had noticed that the gentleman who were fishing that I said hello to. They tried. We drove around town, essentially trying to find their car, and it was interesting seeing the police work because um, instead of pulling up to random people on the street, they kind of knew where everybody hung out. Instead of saying, "Hey," Do you know if anybody has some camping gear all of of a sudden? They would just ask the question, who was um, fishing down by the levee tonight? That was the question they asked. It was a very clever question. Through that kind of questioning, over the course of two days, they actually managed to find the characters who had taken the gear. Again, riding around with them, I got my first police car ride ever. Yeah, two days later, they found the, the people. They returned everything except my toothbrush, and a knit hat that somebody had made for me. But otherwise, I'd got everything back. It was a quite a learning experience. Honestly, I didn't really blame those people. Um, that little town, New Madrid, is, or at least it was ten years ago, is a pretty broke, dirt-poor town. Um, I can't really, can't really f- have too many, too hard of feelings to put um, that kind of loot in front of somebody who's that broke and not tempt them with stealing it. So I was just fortunate to get almost all of it back.
0: One year at the Door County Seacock Symposium, Jake and I were scheduled to lead a session called Wind, Waves, and Surf. Now, the Door Peninsula is a thin sliver of land that juts out into Lake Michigan, with one side exposed to south winds and the other side exposed to north winds. Well, we were scheduled to be on the south side, and it was dead flat. So Jake and I jumped in a car, we drove to the other side of the peninsula, and the conditions were perfect with beautifully formed, perfectly spaced waves. The event manager was pretty specific about how things were organized and she had a plan and we wanted to change that plan. We had to arrange transportation for people and boats and get everyone back in time for the afternoon sessions. And according to that plan, we weren't supposed to be there. Well, we made it happen and it remains today as one of my most favorite days on the water. One of the stories I remember most about his trip and about a place he wasn't supposed to be was this one. And even then, His spirit of adventure won others over.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I got stopped on the northern tip of Assateague Island. I got stopped by the police. Twice the police uh, stopped me, once on Assateague and another time in in New York State. On Assateague, there's established camping on the inside, on the intracoastal side. That's about eight miles south of the northern tip of the island. I ran up on the outside of the island and came around the top, set up camp. Uh, well, actually, I didn't set up camp. I went across to, I believe it's Jersey City, New Jersey? Or Jersey Jersey City, Delaware? Oh, my gosh. Forgive me if I'm getting it wrong. It's sort of like a touristy trap. Just picture Monaca and the Dells combined, but on the coast. Um, Forgive me, I forget the name. But anyway, did this thing, you know, found lunch, found a place to resupply. Then I paddled back across right before sunset and set up camp on the northern tip of Assateague where there's totally undeveloped and police came through in a patrol boat and they saw me there and just, you know, kind of turned their heads and watched me as they passed. And about an hour or so later after I was completely set up right before dark they came over and landed right next to me. And they didn't get out of their boat, they said They could tell I was camping at this point, not just hanging out, which is, I think, what they assumed I was doing earlier. And they said, hey. You know, I crawled out of the tent. I said, yeah. They said, you know, you can't camp here. And I said, no. You know, kind of playing dumb. I knew I couldn't camp there. They said, yeah, man, you know, camping's eight miles down on the island. I said, yeah. And they said, well, where's your vehicle? (laughs) You know. I said, well, it's in in Wisconsin. (laughs) And they looked at each other, and they're just like, what? They said, well, how did you get here? I said, well, I paddled here. You know, and they said, from where? I said, well, from Portage, Wisconsin. And again, they looked at each other like I was crazy. <laughs> they said, well, where are you going? And of course, I'm being a smart aleck at this point. I said, well, to Portage, Wisconsin. And again, they just looked at each other. And then finally, I said, you know, have you guys ever heard of the Great Loop? And, and that's where people essentially do a version of what I did by kayak, but they do it in motorboats. And they had heard of that, And they said, yeah. I said, well, I'm doing that by kayak. And they just looked at each other, and they chatted for a minute. And then they they said, look, you aren't supposed to camp here. It's at your own risk, but we never saw you. And they just got back (laughs) in their boat and left.
0: As he was completing his 5,740-mile trip, paddling was still special for Jake. As he finished the final few days, he was invited by the Northeast Wisconsin paddlers to join a trip through a series of locks. Jeff Mazanek extended that invitation. He got to meet a new paddler and, more importantly, a new friend.
6: You know, a group of us were doing a, a series of, of paddles to complete the route from, you know, up the Fox River from Green Bay to Portage and down the Lower Wisconsin to the Mississippi. And I got an email from this person who said her son was Jake and that he was completing the Great Loop paddle, which I hadn't heard of to that point. So. She said we needed to meet. And as it turned out, I, of course, I checked out his Portage to Portage website and got caught up in that and was, was amazed and awed and, and, you know, and impressed. And it worked out that his parents arranged to introduce us at a riverfront restaurant in Green Bay. And we told Jake about the paddle event we were doing or the series, and he really liked that. And so he decided to join us for a few of them. And you know, when you first meet Jake, he's like this free spirit and you know happy-go-lucky. Of course, he was probably in the shape of his life coming off the, the long paddle and wrapping it up. And he brought a, a real fresh energy to that paddle event. And then I, I learned over time that he, you know, he brought that fresh energy all the time everywhere and everything he did. So he joined us. And so we, we had a hundred paddlers or whatever on, on that segment. And here we have this guy who's doing this epic journey with his boat all full of stickers and signatures and stuff and a great story and we're going down the river on the fox and and all of a sudden he's, he's standing in his cockpit and paddling it like a stand-up board for a mile and just totally free spirit just really fun really brought all that energy and then he joined our club in terms of he, he did some of our club trips he and Mara joined us on a Apostle Islands trip he helped teach some of our classes and just became a a really good friend and a, and a paddle buddy for many of us, and uh, became part of our, you know, part of our paddling community.
0: I attended Jake's celebration of life in Wausau, Wisconsin. The outpouring of love from so many people was just incredible. We knew him from paddling, but hearing the stories of so many people whose lives he touched in so many ways was just amazing. It was held in the gym of the high school where he taught industrial arts, and Dave Olson was there too. When he walked up to the building. Dave saw something special.
7: I um, had coached with Jake at a number of events and never really got to know him until a uh, Gales event up in Marquette maybe eight, ten years ago. It all kind of blurs together. We kind of were chatting and uh, that, that was the event where we had some big water and Bill Thompson from Downwind Sports took the classic photo of Jake in his blue kayak basically being splashed up against the base of Miner's Castle and then rolling back out into the lake, which everybody thought was just a phenomenal photograph. We both kind of looked at each other and we both realized that we had exactly the same pickup truck, a uh, 2006 Toyota Tacoma, silver access cab suicide doors small motor, manual transmission. They, they were basically identical trucks. So after that, whenever I would run into him at any uh, symposium or something, the first question Jake would always ask is, so Olson, you still driving that crappy pickup? Which is kind of a, kind of a classic Jake. It was just kind of a fun thing. You were at his celebration of life down in Wausau. I drove down from Washburn. I live up in Washburn, Wisconsin, up in the Apostle Islands, and drove down for the event and looking around for a parking spot, and I finally found one. And I walked over, and here was Jake's, quote-unquote, crappy pickup with his kayak parked on the roof in the parking lot. I must admit, I had to take a few moments before I could bring myself to go in and give Merit a hug and give her my condolences and all that stuff. So that was, that was basically the, uh, the Jake story and uh, a fond memory, both of us giving each other grief about it and then just, I thought, classy move having his truck parked in the, in the lot at his celebration of life with a kayak on the roof.
0: In the front of the gym was Jake's kayak and a few mementos and one of those was a hat. To many of us, it was his signature, but here's his story about the hat.
3: Um, I actually used the leather hat, which turned out to be nice because putting a hot bowl of food in your lap, um, like I just cooked in one kettle and ate out of that same kettle, so I could put that leather hat in my lap and put the the hot kettle on that leather hat and not burn my lap and just eat, because I I was usually so hungry I wasn't going to wait for anything to cool down. So that was kind of handy, just a leather hat.
0: We may have only seen each other a couple times a year, but I know I looked forward to each opportunity, whether it was seeing him standing on the show floor at Canucopia wearing a flowered apron, demonstrating a camp stove, or silently paddling at sunset just off the shore by himself, gracefully rolling. And that time, he paddled and almost successfully rolled a water-soaked log, just for fun. Like all of us, we've had people in our lives we've had to say goodbye to. Jake's passing had a big impact on many people, myself included. Here's Andrea Nepper again.
4: I feel like there's there's a few people in my life, when they've died, it just doesn't make sense that they're not here. And he's one of those people. I think there's three people in my life that that's true of, and, and he's one of them. And, you know, he's not somebody who was a really close friend. I wasn't in his close circle. He wasn't in my close circle. We didn't have lots and lots of interactions. We didn't, but I had so much respect for him, really enjoyed him. And he's one of the three people I've known that when he's gone, it just makes no sense. It's strange that people who didn't even know him all that well, he had that much impact on them.
0: This has been a tough year for paddlers. We've lost several good friends. And before we wrap up, I'd like to ask that you please join me in a moment of silence for all those that we've lost this year. Jake, thank you for the memories. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for the laughs. We are all better for knowing you. Paddle on, my friend. We miss you.